Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast with me, Emily Einolander. We're mapping the frontier between traditional and indie publishing, and today's guest is Ali Shaw, founder, executive editor, audiobook producer for Indigo Editing Design and more. Ali McCart Shaw, she, her, thinks her love for the written word might have something to do with the pungent odor of ink from her parents' printing press, which permeated her senses before she even knew how to read. She has a bachelor's degree in English from Willamette University and a master's degree in book publishing from Portland State University, where she now teaches entrepreneurship in publishing. She also spent two years as a bookseller and sometimes still itches to create front-of-store displays. Ali founded Indigo in 2006 and has edited a diverse range of nonfiction authors. She began editing audiobooks in 2018 and launched audiobook production as an Indigo service in 2020. Her book, Write Book Check, Now What?, came out in 2021. Indigo Editing Design and More has a mission to improve the book world. To do this, they not only provide expert services to authors, small presses, and large publishers, but they also advocate for thriving independent bookstore commerce and greater inclusion and diversity in the publishing industry. Indigo started as a firm of freelance editors in 2006 and has now grown to offer design, ebook conversion, audiobook production, and publication management services in addition to editing. Indigo is dedicated to sustainability in all its various forms and dedicates time and money to give back to publishing, writing, and literacy communities. Welcome, Allie. Thanks so much for having me, Emily. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Is there anything that you wanted to elaborate on uh, to do with your book publishing background? <laughs> Other than the um, fact that we both went to Portland State. <laughs> I know. That's so exciting. Um, gosh, I mean, it just uh, people often ask, how did I start Indigo? And that's kind of one of those things where um I sort of think of in terms of, you know, those old timey autobiographies always started with, well, I was born. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Got to start somewhere, right? Right. Yeah. Um, growing up in a print shop definitely affected some, you know, my my life path here, I think. Um, before I even knew how to read, I was uh, collating. That was my chore was collating and saddle stitching my parents travel journal. That's not <laughs> that easy they... to do. <laughs> I mean, I guess for you it is since you've been doing it since you yeah. were born, but. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, they wrote, edited, uh, designed and distributed, printed also this travel journal that they um, sold all over the region. And yeah, that was that was my little job to collate and saddle stitch it. And um, so it's always been this sort of trajectory that I knew that I would be making books in some way. Um, spent a lot of years studying, uh, spending school studying literary criticism, really trying to understand how what makes a story work, what makes a nonfiction book understandable that information architecture there. Um, and then from there, it was just the natural progression to go to the master's program at PSU, which was brand new. I feel like I got so lucky getting in right then. <laughs> yeah. 2006, if you started this then, was that before or after you went to school? Um, I started it right at the end of, the, of my schooling at Portland State. Um, basically, I was working as a bookseller mm -hmm. and throughout my entire time, doing the master's program 
And my manager was super supportive. And every time an Uligan book, Uligan Press is the, the teaching press that uh, the students work in through the master's program at Portland State. Every time one of our books came out, our manager would be like, let's make a display of books that Allie has helped with, you know? And so it was really supportive. And one day this woman came in and said, I'm not here to buy a book. I'm here because I wrote a book and I don't know what to do with it. My manager said, go talk to Allie. And she became my first client. Did you get that kind of like itchy, like, oh, there's possibilities here, like feeling, or did you not know until you looked back? Oh, no, I absolutely felt like um, that there were possibilities there. And she was really a fun client to work with. And she started referring other people to me. Um, so that was actually a couple of months before I finished the program. And then once I did finish the program, it was like, well, Wordstock is coming up. Why don't I get a booth there? And if I actually try to market this, maybe I can get enough clients to make this, you know, uh, make me make a living. So, so, so you got a booth at Wordstock, which is now the Portland book festival, which I feel like yes. is a waste of a name, but you, you got that by yourself. <laughs> like you just went and got a booth and was like, I own a business now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I should do that. That's brilliant. <laughs> it's like, hello. Um, it was probably yeah. a little bit, bit different back in the day, but <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Um, <laughs> All right. So you make a differentiation between self-publishing and independent publishing. And I would love to hear more about that because I waffle on it all the time. Yeah. And I want to hear your thoughts on this too. Um, because I was in looking at your website, I was thinking that we maybe define it a little bit differently and there's not really a, a set industry differentiation, but my thinking on it is that, um, uh, typically when people hear the term self-publishing, they're thinking of people who are doing things completely themselves. Um, and when we think back to the beginning of when self-publishing services became available, they were typically, I wrote a book and I'm not hiring anybody to help me with it at all. I'm just uploading it and it's going to be printed, print on demand, and, and that's it. So these were books that were not edited, were not professionally designed, they were just, you know, in Word documents, um, maybe even just rough drafts with some spell check. And um, and then they got printed out. Um, and that still happens today. There are lots of uh, places where you can just push a button and your book goes up like that. But that's also where the stigma against self-publishing started, too, because these are not professionally produced books. They're not books where somebody has helped them make sure that the story is really strong, that the character arc is there, that the information architecture is is built in such a way that your readers can really um, absorb the information. And the design is uh, usually either very scrunched and you get a lot of eye fatigue or it's it's just way too much space. Um, so it, it contradicts readability science that makes it difficult for people to finish the book. So there's these negative stigmas against self-publishing. And so where I think about that difference there is independent publishing is I wrote a book and I want to invest in professionals to professionally produce this book so that it is the absolute best it can, book it can possibly be. Um, so it can compete with traditionally published books in uh, for awards and for readership. And uh, to the point that 
when you hold a traditionally published book next to one of these independently published books, you can't tell the difference. Mm, yeah, I love that. I I think that my definition is a little bit more from sort of the consumer perspective, probably, and just based on size. Um, you know, traditional publishing, when I think of it, is one of the bigger houses. Independent publishing is anyone who kind of works together to create a book or several books, and then self-publishing is more individualistic. But I don't think that that is necessarily as well-defined as I think it could be. So um, I, I like that framework a lot for quality um, and sort of that competitiveness with things that are produced in more of the traditional way. Um, so, so you would kind of self-publishing versus independent publishing is more of a, of a, um, quality and collaboration sort of framework. Yeah. Would you, would you call it that? Yeah. Okay. I do. Yeah. I think yeah. That's great. I think I can get behind that. Yeah. With the, <laughs> just it, how many, how many skilled hands are touching this work? <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. So when you say that Indigo's mission is to improve the book world, um, how do you mean that? I, I imagine some of it has to do with what we were just talking about, but probably more than that too. Yeah. And I love that you're asking this because this is something that I really love to talk about. Um, probably the most tangible ways that you can see that we are dedicating ourselves to improving the book world are through the scholarships that we sponsor. Um, we started the uh, diversity scholarship for uh, Uligan Press students and at the master's program at Portland State. Um, and that came from the fact that the publishing industry is overwhelmingly white, straight, binary, uh, abled, um, all of the things. And that there just is not a lot of representation in the marginalized populations. Um, and so creating this scholarship is uh, one small thing that we can do to help invite more people to become professionals in publishing um, who are from those marginalized populations and to start uh, affecting the diversity in the industry so that we can help the industry grow in a diverse way. Um, and then we similarly have a scholarship for clients um, that uh, clients who are from one of those marginalized populations can apply for the scholarship and receive a free service of approximately $1,000. Um, and uh, so that's on the author side of it, too, trying to make sure that there is more diverse representation in authors out there, too. They get to choose which of your services that they want the most um, for that yes. amount of money. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, um, trying to make sure that these services are available to authors to be able to create professional quality books and trying to support a thriving independent bookstore economy, um, educating authors on the fact that Amazon is not the only place to release your book and so on. There are so many places that you can release your books. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You serve three different types of author or publisher, authors who plan to publish independently and want a professionally produced book, 
authors who hope to publish traditionally and want a competitive edge in today's tough publishing market and traditional publishing companies. So how do those types of clientele different from one another um, in their differing needs? So I'll start with the authors. Uh, the authors who want traditional publishing, it's a very competitive market, as you know. And so we really work with them on kind of that um, on the developmental editing level and we're really looking at how strong the story is and how does it fit with other books that are competitive titles so that they we can help them have a better chance making a really strong impression with an agent or a publisher and 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 being one of those very few books that actually gets a publishing contract um, so pr pretty much with those ones though, we're, we're just doing developmental editing or line editing, um, or both, uh, but we're not going through pr proofreading and design and those kinds of things because their publisher will do those things for them. And if they were to do those things and then submit it to a publisher, it would actually come across as amateurish, um, somebody who doesn't understand the industry. Interesting. Can you elaborate on why that would look amateurish to someone? Sure. Um, so because the publishing company, uh, that process there is they they acquire the book and um, they're, they're looking specifically for books that fit within the niche that they specialize in and uh, that they feel are going to fill a hole in the market and, and give something to readers that they don't have from somewhere else. And then the services that they do to produce the book uh, are typically they'll do line editing again uh, and then or copy editing. And then they'll do proofreading, cover design, interior design, uh, indexing if it's relevant, um, and of course, lots of marketing. So if an author is submitting a book that has already gone through all of these things, then it's showing that they don't actually understand what the publisher's role is. Um, and that's just going to be a big red flag to the publisher that this author, uh, it doesn't, doesn't understand. And so we're going to have to put in extra investment of time and energy to educate this author. And if it's a one in a hundred million book, maybe they'd be willing to do that. But in a lot of cases, they're not willing. In a lot of cases, there's another, inquiry, another submission that maybe the author is already more um, well-versed in the publishing industry with a strong idea and a strong writing style, and they don't have to put so much effort into it. Thinking back on on time where I worked a little bit in acquisitional areas, it was a little nebulous, but um, I when I received things that were completely done, sometimes it was a completely bound book already. And I would usually be like, so do you just want us to print this? Is that what you're asking? Because we're not a printer. Or I would just be like, that's a lot of wasted time because you're assuming that we're not going to want to change anything. Um, you've already done all this work and we might want to change some parts of it, but you, you mm -hmm. seem not as open to that as one should be when getting involved in this process. Absolutely. The publishers are, are experts. And so it's wise for the authors to allow some space for the publishers to provide their expertise. <laughs> but still, you know, make it nice. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, okay. So that's the ones with the competitive edge. 
And then Mm -hmm. we sort of talked about the services, people who are looking for services already. And then what do you do with traditional publishing companies? So when they need any of the services that we provide and they are wanting to outsource those services, then then we um, do that for them. And, you know, a lot of times that looks like we need copy editing um, and fact checking. They already have a budget set up and a deadline and we say, yep, we can do that. <laughs> um, or it could be any of the other services, too. Uh, so that's a pretty, pretty um, straightforward, but also sometimes they'll have acquired a, a book that is by an expert in some topic, but is not, uh, the author is, is not an experienced author. And so we get a big pile of notes and uh, <laughs> a few months to have meetings with the author and put the book in order. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> I am familiar, but I think, you know, I, I have to bring in my experience to this because I do work with your contractors um, with the work that I do. I mostly spend time developing and ghostwriting for people. I actually love that um, as long as the person is open to the fact that um, I'm the person who knows about the writing stuff. Um, talking to a subject matter expert about what they're interested in is always really fun for me. So um, that just depends on, on uh rapport and attitude. And I know you're all professional, so you can probably deal with a lot of different types of personalities. (laughs) We definitely try. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So Indigo includes a full range of services with uh, help at every step in the publishing process. So things like editing, design, indexing, et cetera. How do you decide what book publishing services to recommend to different authors? Well, First, it's in getting to understand what the author's goal is. Um, so yeah, definitely if it's if it's an author who wants traditional publishing, we're not going to be recommending design services uh, as an easy example there. But for the authors who want um, to publish themselves, then we're also looking at, you know, have you already worked with a writing group or with beta readers to get some feedback on the story development yet? Or is this a, a rough draft and, and you need that feedback on the story development? Um, in those cases, we'll recommend several levels of editing first. And then once that's all finalized, then move on to design and so on. Um, sometimes we're working with somebody who they have a traditional publishing company, but that publisher is not going to release an audiobook, um, and so they're wanting to do their own production um, or, or contract out their own production of an audiobook. So it really just varies depending on what the author is looking for. But that first step definitely is um, touching base with the the potential client and getting a good understanding of, of what they want out of working with us and then preparing um, an estimate package to show them how we can meet those needs. Do you find that you offer that all up front or do you sort of go piecemeal along the process with people when they're ready for one or the other? Yeah. So that's also something that really just depends on the person and the project. Um, earlier this week, I actually had a consultation with somebody who has a book idea. And so at this point, I'm not going to be 
pitching every single service because we don't even know what the word count's going to be yet. But for right now, yes, absolutely. I can talk with you about your book idea and give you some, some tips on getting started. Um, somebody who's already got a book that's, that's ready to go and they know that they want to go all the way through the independent publishing process, then definitely I want to lay everything out right up front so that they could get a good feel for everything that's going to be involved. And it doesn't feel like, oh, I thought I only needed these one or two services that we talked about first. Now I feel a little bit blindsided because you're saying I need these other services too. No, we want to be fully transparent. Yeah. You don't want to do reverse scope creep. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, well, at what point do you find that your authors or potential authors become most intimidated by the process? I want to hear your answer to this question too. It's a great question. <laughs> revisions. Um, revisions are what? Oh, yes. interesting. Because they're like, I thought I was okay. I thought I was done, but I have all these questions and I just remember I have other things I want to talk about. And, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, let's <laughs> let me just do some stuff first and then we'll talk. <laughs> yes, I can see that for sure. Mm -hmm. Um I think what I what I observe it mostly is two times actually. The first time is when they've written the book and they've got a full rough draft and they're so excited and they have no idea what to do next. <laughs> yeah, pretty, that's a different way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> so like I know I want to put this book out but what how does that work? Um and then on the other end of it, it's uh, when they get close to launch. Um, and so it's, we've gone through all the editing, we've gone through all of the design and it's, it's that final, I approve thing that they have to sign and say, I have no more changes to make. That is usually when there's a, oh my gosh, it's actually happening. And I'm excited, but I'm also really scared. This is actually going to be in front of people's eyes now, which is what I wanted, but it's also scary. Um, so we do uh, definitely some cheerleading as part of our services as well. Um, and our our publication manager, um, Vinny Kinsella, Love He's him. fantastic. He knows <laughs> everything about, about, you know, the whole production process and everything um, and, and how things change. But he always starts out his, uh, his publication management services with, I want you to know that throughout this process, you get one meltdown. <laughs> that is so powerful <laughs> that he says one. That's such a flex. I love it. I'm going to have to talk to him about this. <laughs> it's fantastic. And people go, no, I'm not going to have him. Oh, yes. Yes, I will. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I have them too. I just have them when I'm all alone <laughs> or at my spouse, which, you know, he signed up for this. So. <laughs> Human emotions are complex and that's okay. Um, we just, you know, try to keep the momentum going forward. <laughs> well, and you're also kind of giving part of yourself to um, random people. Anyone who can it's pick totally it up, you're giving a little piece of yourself to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I find that the more <laughs> personal something gets when it kind of moves from that like prescriptive 
place to like, I'm telling a personal anecdote about my own life space. That's when the people get the most like paranoid, which I would too, Mm -hmm. if it were Mm -hmm. my life. Um, but I think that, I think that the emotional labor that we do is, as, um, book professionals is definitely wrapped up in the, uh, in the entire process. Like you can't just get into it and be completely removed from everything emotionally. So a big part of what you do is connect people with freelancers. How did you assemble your dream team? Um, and what's your process for matching people with authors? I love that you call them my dream team. They really are. (laughs) I mean, I know a few people on there and they're great. So, (laughs) um, yeah, well, I mean, when I started Indigo, it was just me. Um, and, but I already had this vision for it to be a team, um, in part because I'm a somewhat social person. Um, and well, it's rare for us, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I just think that really benefits the client too, to have a team available in one place. And so from, from the get-go, I was thinking, okay, well, I specialize in nonfiction as I am able to grow. I want to bring on editors who specialize in fiction and I want to bring on designers and, and people who can do these various services that I can't do, or maybe the workload is larger than just what, what I can accommodate. Um, and so we've grown at various intervals over the years. We didn't go just from one to 13, (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's really what the process has been like every time is, is what are, what do our clients or our potential clients need that we can't quite fill yet? And then uh, taking a look out there and um, assembling resumes. And a lot of times we receive resumes um, and samples from, from people, even when we haven't posted anything. So we keep those on hand to review every time that we're ready to grow. Um, taking a look at, uh, you know, other talent out there and um, just seeing where things can be a good fit and where we can team up. And so there's probably, do you find yourself kind of overloaded with clients and people have to wait in line to work with your team or um, is it a pretty steady distribution? Um, we do have some lead time and it's typically about six to eight weeks and, um, we try not to let it go any longer than that. Um, and we also try to let people know when they are first expressing interest too. you know, I want to get on your schedule. That's great. Talk to us sooner rather than later so that we can get you lined up in the queue. Um, of course, some projects, get delayed. So we're able to move some others up and we always try to be transparent with people who are waiting, um, or people who need to delay just about, you know, what that looks like. Okay. If you, if you can't work on it, if it's not going to be ready in March, then my next opening is going to be in May, you know, does that work for you kind of thing? Um, just as a, for instance, what do you tell people about the overall publishing timeline when they come to work with you? Oh, (laughs) Do you find that a lot of people come to you thinking that they're going to be able to get their book out in like a month? Um, I've, uh, the shortest I've gotten is like three months. Um, but I I think people come in with an understanding that it's going to take a while, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's usually, I usually have to tell people longer than that. 
but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's still, and I think it's interesting because I love how you turned this around to me. Um, <laughs> I just think it's interesting that, um, neither of us are going to be able to finish it that quick. Um, w- the people working on it or the author, um, is it takes time. It takes time because of all of that emotional stuff, because of like literally the capacity a person has in their brain to do that work. And because of all of the schedules that come together. So it's, um, I've had a couple that have gone longer than I wanted, but actually none of them have really gone longer than the traditional schedules that I've worked with, except for a few that I won't talk about in mm-hmm. the mic so. <laughs> <laughs> and that's for our coffee date those are mine yeah <laughs> um yeah we do sometimes I think there's this misconception um with some people that that the publishing process is really quick especially if the book is already written um because they're seeing it as my book is already written it's not they're not seeing it as a manuscript that's a book in progress and so we have sometimes we need to do some some education there um there's this misconception too that editors are speed readers and so we have to do some education there on no actually we read really slowly because we're looking at every letter and every punctuation mark (laughs) um So, which is, that's not such a bad thing to do that education though. We love talking about what we do and helping people understand it better. Um, But definitely for people who are wanting to traditionally publish, we really try to talk with them about, okay, let's plan at least two editing rounds so that we can get in developmental editing and line editing um, and some time to work on your query letter and any other submission materials that you might need. So let's plan three months for that to make sure that it's as solid as it can be because you don't want to waste a query uh, to an agent or a publisher with something that isn't really solid. And then with the independent publishing clients, we talk with them about how this needs to take 12 to 18 months. And so again, there's a lot of education there because when we break down the production timeline, okay, sure, each editing round can take about a month, but if we're only doing three editing rounds and then design takes another month to six weeks after that, if you're including ebook conversion, that doesn't equal 12 to 18 months. But we really try to educate them too on start your publicity plan early. It's so important for booksellers and librarians and consumers to be hearing about your book before it comes out so that you can really make sure that um, it launches strong and that these bookstores and libraries uh, know to carry your book when it comes out. If they don't know about it, they won't carry it. That's absolutely correct. <laughs> and they also um, aren't going to, don't go to the airport, you know, like. <laughs> yes, yes, that too. <laughs> Not that I've met anyone who's done that, but I just, uh-huh. it's a funny picture to me that I've invented completely <laughs> in my head. <laughs> Someone walking up to a store in the airport and being like, People are going to love it. (laughs) (laughs) So since this is you helping people with publishing services rather than like the regular traditional publishing contract, which when I was getting my bank account, I tried to explain it to the person who was helping me open it. And they just looked at me like I was nuts when I tried to explain royalties to them. (laughs) 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 They're like, so is this a normal publishing company? I'm like, oh, no, it's just services. And he was like, 
what? <laughs> How do you make any money? <laughs> I'm like, good question. Um, so how do you decide to uh, what to charge people and how to do payment plans, stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Getting into some of the nuts and bolts. And what's funny is we just finished the the logistics unit in my entrepreneurship and publishing class. So we were just I was just teaching other freelancers how to do this. Um, well, I should <laughs> audit that course. Oh, we didn't it's have fun. It I would you. love to have you in class. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, we first first things first is we're getting to know the project and then submitting our estimates uh, for what each service is going to cost. And we, uh, do that based on how many hours it looks like the, uh, each service is going to take. And then we've got, a, a basically an hourly rate, uh, for each service. And then we submit these F- estimates with a range because we're not, sometimes things happen in a manuscript that, you know, these 10 pages are just going to take longer to edit than the other ones. Um, and that's, that's just how books are. So it's not a bad thing by any means, but we always just account for what we don't know yet. Yeah. So in that, that's what that range is for. (laughs) And then, um, once they approve, uh, the estimates, then we do the contract and so on. Um, But yeah, in terms of how we are going to, how we determine what we're going to charge, um, we've done a lot of market research based on uh, what other editors and designers are charging. We also consider that Indigo has some extra value that some other companies may not be able to provide simply because we have a, you know, many, many years of experience in the publishing industry. And uh, we have a team of professionals and so, we can walk people through the full process. We have, you know, if an editor, if something happens and they get sick and they're not able to finish the edits on time, for example, we have other editors who can help lift that load. Yeah, that must be a really good resource to have, especially if people start panicking, if they if they cash in their one meltdown. <laughs> um, so how do you determine whether one of your authors is happy with what you've done for them? And I'm particularly thinking of the independent authors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I find that people who work in communications, uh, whether writing or whether they're writers or publishers, um, tend to communicate pretty well <laughs> about what they think, <laughs> share their opinions. Um So it is definitely, you know, taking that time to listen to them. And if they haven't offered something, then I try to reach out and ask, you know, how it went. Um, And we really take that feedback seriously to understand if there's a better way that we can provide customer service. Um, And we've been doing that, you know, we've been going for 17 years now. And so that idea of um, being able to always improve, I think is really important. And that's, that's been part of what has gotten us here. Um, and every once in a while, we'll have an author who wants to, you know, kind of do a debrief. And so we actually you know, have a meeting, we'll do a coffee or, or a zoom meeting or whatever to really talk about it all the way. And they'll go, I loved this part. And I got a little scared with this part. And, um, you know, the various 
methods. It took longer than I thought it was going to. So then we know to, to educate our authors more on that in advance, that kind of thing. Um, and we always to, uh, I, I, when their books come out, I like to send them a little handmade card, a little handmade congratulations card. Um, and, uh, that's just, you know, a customer service kind of thing that I like to do, but, uh, it also includes a, if you want to leave us a Google review, here's the link. You did that to me <laughs> and I did. <laughs> well, thank you. Cause that made me smile getting that card. I was like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed this as well. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit? I, I feel like I could talk about this way longer than this episode will allow, but What's the deal with the audiobooks? How'd you get started on that and how's it going? Oh, I love talking about audiobooks. Um, I got started on it because um I was just kind of in a place where I'd been doing editing services for like 13, 14 years already, and um still love editing services, but just feeling like I wanted to grow my skills with something new. Um and so that's exactly what I did. And I started just doing a lot of online research at first found that there really weren't a lot of classes available for this is how you produce audiobooks. Um, and that most people who had, who were doing it were really specializing more in narration and had done like radio commercials and they were, you know, they're selling their voice and they just, you know, they took some like uh, music production classes or whatever to learn about the software. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you saw that. This is your experience too. <laughs> well, I actually don't have a lot of experience with audiobooks, so I'm kind of excited to dive into learning about them. Um, yeah. All I've really seen is you know the Amazon services. Basically, mm-hmm. did you mostly teach yourself or? I did mostly teach myself, and I you know I'm a little bit nervous to say that because I feel like you know that. That can be um, off-putting to some people, but what I did was, um, so I, I I lived in the forums for months where I was just reading what other people were doing and what was working for them, um, both narration-wise and equipment-wise and editing-wise, software, all of the things. Um, and then I did a lot of trial and error doing some of my own recordings and um, working with other people who were willing to um, do some recordings as well and then give me their files to practice on and learned all about how um, if a cell phone is near recording equipment, then you can get a, an interference thing in the background and you have to re-record everything, for example. Um, or, you know, when people are recording in their home studios that, yes, we really can hear the cars driving by outside and the dogs barking up the road. <laughs> and those sounds are really difficult to try to edit out. Um, I always tell guests who are talking to us from New York that it's not an episode with someone from New York unless there's a really loud siren in the middle. So uh-huh. that's how I think people yeah. feel better about that. It's it's a podcast though, but audiobooks yeah. way different. <laughs> so yeah, I just did a lot, a lot of practice with that. Kind of really um, leaned on that it just takes thousands of hours to really learn something, right? And and um, so I did. I think eight books to, to just practice. And then I decided that I was only going to work on books that had been recorded in a real studio. And so 
found a studio to partner with and they are fantastic opal studio over in southeast portland and um so all my authors when we're going in there we work uh we record there and then i uh, do the the software end of it in my office um i'm also I also found that when it comes to services that people need, there's already a fill for, I have the book and I want to hire a narrator and, and then also a producer. So I didn't need to go there and, um, and that's great. But what I found is that a lot of my clients are people who want to do things themselves and do them professionally. They, you know, they don't, they want to narrate their own book, but not at home with earbuds. They want to record it in a studio and have a professional do the editing, um, just like they did for the their text editing and their design. And so I get to coach them on narration. We have a couple of sessions in advance to help them practice and teach them about, you know, proper hydration and how to train for, for narrating for four hours straight, because that's a major vocal strain. And then from there, I take the files and I get to make them sing what I didn't think about in advance. Um, and I and I wonder a little bit if you're going to be able to relate with this, too. Uh, just as in text editing, when you're you're training your eye to find the things that are wrong, right? You're you're for looking for the typos and the punctuation errors and the misplaced modifiers when it comes to audio editing. It's the same thing and not just in the obvious editing out the bad take and, and making sure that there's a good take in there to replace it. Um, but you're also listening for all those little annoying sounds that happen just from the biology of the friction that our body makes when we talk. The mouth so noises. The, yes, the mouth clicks, the throat squeaks. I call them nose farts um, because that's what it sounds like when you've got... <laughs> your studio headphones on and this and this nose sound comes out oh and so god I'm never going to be able to unhear that <laughs> <laughs> well have I got a service for you um, oh my. <laughs> um yeah so then I I was realizing okay now I love audiobooks and in working on them, I am mostly listening to all of these annoying sounds or for these annoying sounds so that I can get them out so other people don't have to. Yeah. Once I learned about high pass filters, I never could like unhear low frequencies. And when I started doing this, um, you know, cheating, but the compression of Zoom really helps with that. And I'm I'm at the point where that's why I do this. So I don't have to mess around with that too much. But um, I just remember when people were actually recording in this room with me, it was just, I was just like, so frustrated with it. I was like, how do I get rid of this? And then when I listened to other podcasts, I could hear it. And then, you know, that really makes you prune what you're listening to in general. It does. It does. Yeah. I've, I've listened to podcasts where I love the content and, um, the, the various sounds and, and the filters that they're not using make them hard to listen to. And so, yeah. It's, it's good to learn about the tools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I imagine it's probably a lot more intricate with an audiobook because um, I don't know, just, just more less, less off the cuff. I think, <laughs> you know, we're not doing audio dramas here. We're doing fun, fun little interviews. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what would you say to someone who hasn't even written their book yet, but wants help or advice to get started? Ooh, the first thing I would say is come to our events. <laughs> <laughs> we host some virtual events on Zoom um, weekly. Every Thursday night, we host Sit Down, Shut Up and Write. And um, so that started out as an in-person event that we had to move to Zoom because of COVID. But it has done well on Zoom. And so we are continuing it that way. But we get together at 6 p.m. Pacific time in the Zoom room. We chat about what we're working on. We get each other excited for it, you know, and there's this level of, uh, you know, team writing accountability, right? Like having a gym buddy. Um, And so after 30 minutes of the chatting and checking in, then we log off and we write for an hour. And a lot of times we'll check in with each other afterwards too, just to see how the writing went. How many words did you get? Did you get a breakthrough? Was it, you know, was it productive this time? Um, so that's every Thursday weekly free. I want to go. And go. <laughs> yeah, please do. Um, and the links on our website at indigoediting.com. And then once a month, we do monthly publishing Q&As, and um, those are free for our existing clients and just a $10 suggested contribution for people who are not current clients. Um, And so that's an hour of bring your questions about anything book related, um, and we will talk about it. And so, but without fail, every time there has been somebody who says, I'm at the beginning of the writing process. What tips do you have for building that momentum? And so we get to talk about that. um, And I'll share the tip that I give the most. And that is to set an alarm for the same time every day. Find a time that is best for your schedule that is least likely to be interrupted, whether that's first thing in the morning or maybe it's later in the evening, afternoon, any time like that. And when you feel creative. Once that alarm goes off, pull out your writing and set a timer for eight minutes. That low standard, it doesn't have to be a lot of minutes, means that you're actually more likely to sit down and do the writing because once 10 minutes is up, once the eight minutes are up even, you can um, get up and move on to the other thing. You achieved your goal, just eight minutes. And what happens a lot of times with that is that you're, you've got some momentum by minute number eight and you want to keep sitting there and you want to keep writing. That's awesome too. Even if you don't, or you can't, or you have someplace else to go doing just eight minutes every day keeps your momentum going for the future days too. Whereas if you go, well, not today, then it's that much harder to get back into the writing when you are ready to pick it up again. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything you would like to add, um, either just subject wise or tell us where people can find you, that mm-hmm. sort of thing? Yeah. Um, well, our website is indigoediting.com and we love to talk with people who are in their process thinking about services. Um, it's completely free to submit some information about your project and get some estimates on it. So yeah, definitely reach out. We also love to go to events around the Portland area. So if you're in this area and you're headed to um, any book-related events, watch for us there. We usually have a booth and we'd love to talk with you in person. Um, Yeah, I think that that covers that part. 
Well, you can find Hybrid Pub Scout, hybridpubscout.com on um, Twitter at Hybrid Pub Scout, on Instagram at Hybrid Pub Scout Pod. And give us a nice review on your favorite podcast platform, please. And thank you, Allie. Thank you, Emily. And thanks for giving a rip about books. <laughs>